I'm going to give people just a moment to, I see, <laughs> I like to be able to watch as people start running toward the main hall. There's some moment, and then some people don't run. They just they get there. I like that too, get there when they get there. Our opening words this morning are from my colleague Manish K. Mishra Marzetti, um, a poem he wrote called River Call just slightly adapted for our use this morning. Between rocking the boat and sitting down, between stirring things up and peaceably going along, we find ourselves here in community. Each called from many different journeys, many different life paths, onto this river road. Some are here because the rocking of the boat has been too much, too much tumult, too much uncertainty, too much pain. Some are here with questions about where the boat is going, how best to steer it, where this journey ends. Others are here as lovers of the journey lovers of life itself. Here, in front, beside, behind, each a passenger, each a captain, doing the best we can. Rest here in your boat with me, the river calls. Listen to how I flow the sound of life coursing all around you. Let the current hold you. Let the current guide you. The river that gently flows through your soul whispers, come, let us be together. Let us be together and let us sing together sometimes gently along the river, and sometimes with gusto. This is a gusto time. One, two, one, two, three, and. Thank you. 
don't worry, it's just muscle strain. Get your rest and you'll be yourself again. Lord, I'm trapped between the devil and the deep blue sea. Trapped between the devil and the deep blue sea. Everybody's saying that there ain't no free, maybe not. Don't worry me, cause I got water from the well. I got water from the well, where it come from. I can't tell, I can't tell, but I got me cool, clear water from the well. Yes, I do. Well, I got me cool, clear water from the well. Thank you. Your next number is going to be Vivaldi's The Four Seasons, right? <laughs> Thank you. Boy, nobody's going to be sleeping here today. All right, welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. Good morning again. My name is Perry Bider. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And I am so glad you're here with us today, whether you're in the room or joining us on Facebook. Visitors and guests, we hope that you got a blue name tag on your way in so that we can welcome you and answer any questions you might have. We love talking about what we've found in this community, but we're really curious to see, learn more about what you're looking for. We hope you'll join us after platform service for coffee and cookies in the lobby and the social hall. It's okay. Also, please consider... Hmm? That's an excited noise. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, well, you do have... We're not to the cookies just yet. Um, also, please consider sharing your email with us on the gold sheet found at the welcome table. You can drop that sheet in the collection basket as it passes later in the platform service. I want to remind you, please, to silence your electronic devices so that you can be fully present this morning and so can your neighbors. Although, if you want to check in on social media, we do not mind the free publicity. Now, I also want to let you know that this is a historic day at WES. You are present for what I believe is our first ever fire drill. <laughs> At some point later in the platform, you will hear a number of cell phone alarms going off, and that will be our
Thank you so much for that beautiful music and for our opening song. I have always wanted to work at a honky-tonk, <coughs> and I feel my dream came a little bit true today. For folks who are just joining us who weren't here during the welcome, I do want to give you a heads up that later in our platform today, in our platform service, we are going to have a fire drill. There's going to be instructions then, and the important thing for parents is that your children are going to exit their classes with their teachers and you will meet them outside the building as we walk down to our 
um, uh, to our location. The fire chief loves our building because every classroom downstairs has a door in it that exits immediately outside. It's the fire chief's favorite building. The thing is, if, if parents very understandably go down to try to get to their children, they will mess everything up. They will like, you'll like run into each other. So, so that's part of what we're practicing today, right? Is the, the teachers are gonna bring your kids out, you're gonna find them, it's gonna be great. Um, thank you, thank you for practicing that with us and for building, I like to think of it as herd immunity, right? Like we are building our capacity as a community to know what to do if we needed to exit the building. Um, we once did actually have a fire alarm go off a number of years ago and literally everybody just sat in platform going, what are we supposed to do? Should we? They just, we just stayed there until finally one of the ushers said, you leave the building! <laughs> so we're gonna get better, guys. We're doing it, we're doing it. So um, I just uh, really hate Ralph Waldo Emerson. Um, <laughs> Ralph Waldo Emerson, Henry David Thoreau, you know, all of these transcendentalists who wrote so beautifully about being alone. This is like a shock. I can tell people are shocked. It's, I'm going to qualify it. Anyway, Henry David Thoreau, of course, was the author of Walden Pond, which is often known sort of as the the ode to aloneness. I will note that Thoreau went into town daily for his mother to do his laundry. I am not making that up. So, mm, not really sure he was that alone. <clears throat> it's not quite fair to say that I hate these authors, of course. There are many things that they've written that I resonate with. And transcendentalism in general, which is about sort of the connection that each of us can have to all things. The idea of being able, as Emerson said, without mediator or veil, to be connected to the universe, to what Emerson called the oversoul, that each of us has that capacity just within ourselves. That's quite a beautiful concept, actually. And Emerson and Thoreau and Margaret Fuller, Theodore Parker were well known for that idea. My image of Emerson, though, is of being on top of a hill, nobody around, connected personally with the oversoul. And to me, that just sounds kind of lonely, I think. Felix Adler, the founder of Ethical Culture, was actually good friends with Ralph Waldo Emerson, so much so that he named his first son Waldo not sure how the sun felt, and um, so I, it's kind of a cute name, right? Um, and, um, and they were uh, colleagues in the Free Religious Association, kind of at this time of religious creativity, philosophical creativity in America. But ultimately, Adler, I think, had some of the same feeling that I do, that Emerson and his idea of being alone and connected to the world, the idea of continually improving yourself, what William Ellery Channing, another Unitarian minister, called self-culture, that that idea of self-culture was well and good up to a point, but ultimately limited. That we needed, in fact, to be connected with other people, to understand ourselves as not just solo individuals, but in relationship with others. We needed not a self-culture, but an ethical culture. Now, different religions end up in different places on that question of solitude versus togetherness, sometimes leaning heavily in one direction or another. You might think about 
Buddhist monks in some forms of Buddhism that spend years by themselves on a mountain not taking laundry to their mother weekly, I will note, or Christian ascetics, particularly early Christian fathers and mothers who went into caves for truly years at a time, versus the emphasis on community in black church or in Hindu ceremonies. Some of those differences are cultural, built up over time, and almost every religion has sort of different paths, right, so that you can have a more solitary experience or a more communal experience. And I wonder, even with all of the cultural pieces around community versus solitude, if there's a part of that that's really just about being an extrovert or an introvert. I have often had folks who have said to me that they really like WES and all that it stands for and what they hear on Sunday, but that the energy on Sunday morning is just too much for them, too much muchness, all those people, that they need something more um, alone, more solitude for themselves. When I first started my um, path toward ministry, I had to take a whole battery of kind of psychological tests, most of which are really about your self-awareness, right? Do you understand yourself? And um, one of them was about being an extrovert versus an introvert. And at that time, I scored way high on the extrovert range. Um, I think that what they said, actually, which I may have shared with some folks before, is that people with that level of extroversion, if they have to be alone, um, will read stories with many characters in them so that they feel like they're with other people. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I think sometimes we have some misconceptions about what introvert and extrovert mean. Um, we imagine that it's about sociability or whether we like other people. I've, I've talked with folks who are introverts who say, people will say to them, oh, you can't be an introvert. You're so nice. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's about where we energy from, right? Where we build up our reserves. So an introvert might love to be with other people and then need to go home and build up reserves on their own in quiet. And an extrovert might be okay being alone, but then enjoy the energy found by being with others. I have found that over the course of my career, I have actually moved more toward introversion. I mean, it wasn't really like a high bar for me to get a little bit more introverted. And that I need those times by myself much more than I did before. I suspect that all of us need some balance between togetherness and aloneness. And I will, that's not the fire drill alarm, by the way, that's just a phone. Um, or a dance break. Okay. Um, and, I, and I do want to note the difference between um, voluntary solitude and aloneness and loneliness. Those are two different experiences for many of us. But that idea of being alone by choice, our time alone and balancing that with togetherness, is I think something many of us grasp for. The aloneness part, though, has always been a harder sell for me personally, and not just for me. My colleague, Hugh Taft-Morales, who's a member here and leader of the Baltimore and Philadelphia Ethical Societies, actually just gave a really great platform in Baltimore about solitude. He sent it to me for inspiration, and then I got depressed because it was just so good. I, like, I thought maybe I'd just read it all out to you. I'm not doing that, but you should go find it. It's really good. 
Um, so in that, he was describing the advent of attachment psychology and the connection of sort of healthy human selfhood to our ability to form positive relationships, which was really something that came out of early psychological movements. But then he goes on. Solitude began to be seen as a sign of pathology ever since urban life started to dominate Western culture. I read somewhere, wrote Hugh, how the term spinster evolved over the last 200 years. Spinster originally meant one who spins well, a respectable and necessary part of rural economies that was available to widows. Slowly, the term evolved to represent a reckless lady. Over an even longer period of time, the idea of hermit changed from being a noble monk seeking God to a bearded, dirty cave dweller. Hugh is reflecting on the idea that in America, solitude is not often appreciated and lauded as an important part of our lives. And for those of us who, like me, get stuck in that idea of productivity being our value, you know, what it is that we're creating, the kind of solitude that is about break and rest can be particularly difficult to create and justify in our minds. I have been preparing, as you heard from Perry this morning, for a seven-week sabbatical. And um, I, I'm a little notorious among a couple of my friends for not being great at vacation and sabbatical. Um, for instance, I'm going to my parents for a, a week and um, for a rest time, during which I'm also preaching at my home congregation and doing an internment. Um, so, um, so a friend sent me a poem to try to encourage me to really think about what rest might look like and, and um, why it might be important. It's by Robert Bly. It's a poem called Things to Think. And I just want to read the, the very beginning and then the end. Think in ways you've never thought before. If the phone rings, think of it as carrying a message larger than anything you've ever heard, vaster than a hundred lines of Yeats. Amen. Think that it's not necessary to work all the time or that it's been decided that if you lie down, no one will die. If you lie down, no one will die. It's a good reminder that none of us are the center of the world in quite the way we imagine. In fact, I often think that sabbatical is a good thing just to keep clergy egos in check. Look, everything is going along fine without me. The poem was shared as an exhortation to rest, to be alone. Science actually tells us that being alone and being alone in spacious, restful ways is actually necessary for our understanding of self, for our creativity and our growth. Anthony Storr in um, the book Solitude, A Return to the Self, wrote, it appears, therefore, that some development of the capacity to be alone is necessary if the brain is to function at its best and if the individual is to fulfill its highest potential. Human beings easily become alienated from their own deepest needs and feelings. Learning, thinking, innovation, and maintaining contact with one's own inner self, inner world, are all facilitated by solitude. Learning, thinking, innovation, 
one's own inner world, the importance of being alone. I imagine I don't have to sell you on the importance of being connected since you are in fact here today. Although I will say there are millions of studies out there. That was hyperbole. There are several studies out there about the importance, the impact on our health in particular. I like the ones that note that you will actually live longer if you are part of a congregation and if you sing aloud together. It's possible that those are corollary and not causal, but you know, I'm not a scientist. I don't know. There's another aspect of togetherness and aloneness that I wanted to reflect on this morning, or maybe more accurately, togetherness and individuality. Murray Bowen is the um, founder of family systems thinking, um, and Bowen talked about the opposing life forces that all of us um, grapple with and, and, and experience of being drawn together and being individual selves. We are drawn into emotional closeness with each other, and we also have a need to self-differentiate, to be clear about who I am and where I end and who you are and where you begin. Bowen would say that we need a balance of these two things. And sometimes he referred to a scale between differentiation, being clear about who you are and who you are not, and enmeshment, being close and connected, but in a way that you can almost think of as entangled. Folks who are fully enmeshed take on the anxiety of the people with whom they are enmeshed. If you're upset, then I better be upset too, right? Even if I'm not sharing your experience, but you're upset, so I'll be upset. That's sort of over here with enmeshment. We often see differentiation and enmeshment come up during times of conflict, and so summer is a great time to look at that as we have family reunions <laughs> in our future and gatherings like that. You can see and notice, if you put on your observer glasses at that family reunion, the way that some people are enmeshed, taking on each other's anxiety, while others may be more self-differentiated. All of that imperfectly, even those of us who are working hard toward self-differentiation. Bowen would say that each of us has different natural set points on that scale of enmeshment and differentiation, often having to do with our um, family of origin, how we grew up, the patterns that we learned originally, and that all of us can work toward more differentiation. But here's the thing that's important. Just like enjoying solitude doesn't mean that you don't also want to be in community, being differentiated doesn't mean that you aren't interested in connection and relationship. Actually, Bowen would say that folks who are more differentiated, more clear about where they end and another person begins, are better able to be in relationship with each other. In fact, the most enmeshment that we see, according to Bowen, actually shows up when we are cut off from each other in relationship. It's kind of counterintuitive. The times when we are unable to be in relationship with other people are sometimes because we are so enmeshed with them that we cannot manage the relationship healthfully and productively. So Bowen talked about this importance of differentiation for our capacity to be in good and healthy relationship. And it's the same thing, I think, for solitude and togetherness. 
It is sometimes hard for me to head out on sabbatical. This will be my third time now, each for different lengths of time. Clergy sabbaticals are not about producing something the way that academic sabbaticals often are, although I am hoping to do some writing, which I now a little bit regret sharing with you because you'll ask me about it when I come back, and I will feel embarrassed if I didn't. But rather, clergy sabbaticals are about giving space in the mind, realizing that if you lie down, no one will die. It's healthy for the congregation to experience itself without the person who's so often the focal point, at least on Sunday mornings. And you all will be in good hands while I am away with Brian and Beth and the rest of the pastoral care team. And they'll be supported by Karen Rasmussen, who's coming in as our sabbatical clergy person, a colleague who has served a number of congregations in this area in sabbatical capacities as well as in settled capacities. And for me... Being away will help me to come back more able to be in relationship. Just like self-differentiation helps us to be close without being enmeshed, being away can bring clarity, space, breath, self-definition, and self-awareness so that we can return together. One of the things that I do every summer is a family reunion with my husband's extended family. Because it's their family, it's perfect. I don't personally feel caught up in the drama, so I can totally have my observer glasses on and just enjoy being with all of these folks, usually 35 to 40 people of many ages and different familial relationships all running around kind of dirty from the tents and the outdoors. At some point during that reunion, there's always a trip on the water, in an inner tube, on a lazy river, or in a kayak, or a canoe. And every time I find some moment on that trip where I am alone in the water. There may be someone else in the boat with me, but I am feeling connected not to them and not to the kids running along the shore or the people preparing the meal back at the campsite, but just to myself and the water. It's my Emerson moment. As I sit there in the boat on the water, I have a moment of solitude right amidst the togetherness and community of those reunions. And they remind me those moments of the importance of having both in my life. In our opening words, Manish wrote, rest here in your boat with me, the river calls. Listen to how I flow, the sound of life coursing all around you. My hope for you this summer is that you have a moment on the river, a moment of solitude, of connection to all that is, and most importantly, to yourself, and that you have those moments of solitude knowing they help you to be in community, all of us on this river road together.
voice from the mountain. It's a voice from the sea. Voice in my neighborhood. It's a voice calling me. Tell me, my friend, my friend. Tell me with love. When will it end, it end? Voice from above. Sound of an ocean wave. Sound from a tree. Sound in a country lane. Say you've got to be free. Tell me you cry, you cry. Tell me again. Tell me out loud, out loud. This song is rain. Thank you, Josh. Jason, that was beautiful. This is our community response period. It's a chance for some of us to add our voice to the morning's conversation. If you would like to share a thought, please raise your hand. I will bring the microphone to you. I ask that you begin by saying your first name the microphone, speaking very closely so that we can all hear you. I'm going to give us a moment to pause to collect our thoughts. And then we'll begin. <clears throat> yeah, let's start here. 
Good morning, my name is Sean. I happen to like Ralph Waldo Emerson. <laughs> and actually, a, one of my favorite quotes of his, I think is a good philosophy of life. It's be silly, be honest, be kind. Hello, my name is Elizabeth. Um, I just wanted to describe uh, something that I do at home, and that is I will go out and I will be busy with people and, and places and things and doing all kinds of things with other people. And then I go home and I'm like, I tell my spouses, okay, I'm done peopling now. I'm gonna go in my room and close the door and pretend that the rest of the world does not exist. Hi, I'm Julie. Uh, no, I'm, uh, you wish. I'm John, and thank you, Amanda. That was wonderful, as always. And I hope you have a wonderful sabbatical. We will miss you. I hope you miss us a little. And, and Amanda, I just want to make sure that you knew, Amanda yesterday was at the AEU annual assembly where she introduced Ed Erickson, who won the Alger uh, Lifetime Achievement Award, and both of their remarks are moving and so on, and you can see that in a video that's available. Um, well, we can, we can get you the, the link to it, but it's, it's through Facebook and so on. Um, but the other thing I just wanted to mention, this is a momentous day, not only because it's our first fire drill, but also because it's a big day for our sister community in El Rodeo, El Salvador. And our delegation, the regular the pilgrimage down there of adults and teens, is down there, Ross Wells and uh, Peggy Gates and others, uh, Susan Runner, but with the teens, Russell Corbin and so on, they're down there to celebrate Today is the day of their celebrating 